Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, who is playing through pain. He was a game-time decision for this week's pod. Uh, now he's officially active. He's in the starting lineup, but it was touch and go. Uh, John, do you want to tell the listeners why we almost had to put you on the IR? <laughs> yeah, Eric. Uh, well, it's not water on the knee, which I had a week earlier, and that's right. a whole other story. And that's actually uh, gone, so I'm good. Uh, now, this is an ultimate first-world problem, I would say. Uh, uh, so it turns out if you keep the same remote control for enough years, eventually the buttons start to wear out, uh, especially if you're like me and, and DVR, lots of sporting events. So the games take the right amount of time for me to watch. Um, I get rid of the excessive timeouts, the crotch grabbing, the preening, the grooming, the backing off two foot putts and so on. Um, so that's great for me generally. But um, once the remote is fading, you have two choices. You can drop the old remote off at your cable operator and get a free replacement, mm-hmm. or you can constantly pound your fingers on the <laughs> buttons until they finally <laughs> respond as you feel the button getting pressed down to the core of the remote. Um, I, I chose option two, and I, I, I chose poorly, Eric. Um, <laughs> so by Sunday night, I had the kind of left wrist t- tendonitis, being left-handed, and left uh, DVR'd, I guess. Um, it leaves you contemplating self-amputation for, for a bit. Um Luckily, ice, rest, and magic pills, the same formula for water on the knee, as it turns out. Uh, it produced great improvement within like 48 hours, and uh, I'm still on a pitch count until next week probably, but um, <laughs> I, I've actually just taken the wrap off for this podcast, so I'm kind of uh, going bareback, and I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> I, I, the, the term pitch count uh, applies as someone who pitches stories. Uh, you're, on, you're on a pitch count in that way. Um, exactly. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, a, a fairly pathetic injury, uh, yeah, but you know, as, as we get older we we suffer more and more of these injuries that are hard to explain i've certainly <laughs> thrown out my back sneezing a few times and uh <laughs> and, and then uh, i can't even remember if i mentioned this on the podcast yet but that i once got a uh, concussion playing golf so that although oh. that was that had nothing to do with age that was back when i was like 19 years old so <laughs> um but yeah yeah you're you're falling apart partner but i'm i'm, I'm glad you're at least uh, well enough to be on the podcast this week i'm here <laughs> all right well thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 38 of gamble on if you missed any of our previous 37 episodes they're all available 
follow on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Just click the subscribe button so every episode downloads to your device automatically. And if you have an injured wrist like John does, uh, just think of all the clicks and taps and swipes you'll save yourself by subscribing. Oh, that's a good uh, good segue there, Eric. I appreciate that. Um, and coming up a little later on the show, uh, we'll be joined by our colleague Jill Dorson, who primarily writes for our sister site, SportsHandle.com. Uh, Jill's reporting from the front line of sports betting legalization, and there's a lot to ask her about, really, with one state after another zooming toward regulation lately. Um, but first, it's been another busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We will definitely be talking about this subject with Jill Dorson shortly, uh, but let's start with our own discussion of Tennessee just about legalizing sports betting. The Tennessee Senate approved HB1 by a 19 to 12 vote on Tuesday. There were some minor amendments, so it had to go back to the House where it passed by a 51 to 40 vote. So now it moves along to Governor Bill Lee and his press secretary said, quote, he plans to let this become law without his signature which I find a strange cop-out move, like somehow he's not responsible for welcoming the evils of sports betting to his state because he didn't sign it, uh, but everyone knows that he okayed it. In any case, what makes this legislation so unique is that Tennessee doesn't have any physical casinos, so this is an interactive-only bill. On your computer or on your phone, you'll be able to bet in Tennessee, but you don't have a brick-and-mortar option. There's no other state currently like that. Another key detail is that sports books must purchase official league data in order to offer in-game betting. Uh, we don't have a timeline yet on when betting will begin. Naturally, there's speculation that the state will try to get things operational in time for football season. John, two questions. Are you surprised at how quickly this came together? And do you expect we'll see other states without land-based casinos following this model going forward? Yeah, Eric, I'm a little surprised, but uh, I'm not sure I should have been in retrospect. Um, in other states, what we're seeing is that there are multiple entrenched interest groups with lobbyists determined to gain the upper hand or at least not let the other guy have it. And that, that's what kind of stalls things. Mm -hmm. So um, it doesn't seem like there was much organized opposition here. So the legislators heard more about tax revenues and consumer protection than about boogeymen. Um, and that's kind of what it went through. Now, as far as this being a model, I mean, if Nevada and New, and New Jersey aren't models and they aren't, uh, I'm not sure this is one either. Um, all these elected officials in every state seem to want to reinvent the wheel. And right. uh, I don't know why, but I think that's going to continue. Yeah, that's that's a good call that everyone wants to put their own personal stamp on it and do it their own way and not just duplicate what somebody else did. Um, I will say once Tennessee is up and running. It'll be very interesting to compare handle and revenue in the state with Mississippi's handle and revenue. One state has mobile, no brick and mortar. The other has brick and mortar, no mobile. I think we know which direction this is going to go. Uh, and those will uh, probably be very useful statistics for uh, supporting uh, the, the everybody should go mobile side of the argument. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like I said, I, you know, I go back to the uh, idea of, again of Utah and Hawaii. They're not. They're not gambling culture states. You don't mm -hmm. gamble, at least not legally there. Uh, and that's how it is. And that's fine. But uh, if you're going to have legal sports betting, I, I just I'm stumped as to why you wouldn't uh, allow online uh, either. Either you're in or you're not in. And um, a lot of states are half in and 
half out. Right. In the words of Mr. Miyagi, uh, halfway squash like grape, something like that. (laughs) Um, uh, Of course, the real story here is that our friends at Roto Grinders are based in Tennessee. So now they can Mm. bet on their phones uh, at all hours of the day. And so uh, no work is getting done there ever again, I think. Yeah, productivity could uh, diminish uh, immensely. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Our next story, FanDuel made big news on Tuesday when it announced an expansion of its partnership with Sport Radar AG, whereby on streaming broadcasts of sporting events, FanDuel will provide live betting odds. We've recently seen some American cable networks try alternative broadcasts focused on betting and odds, but this is different. This is a broadcast with live in-game odds updating on the screen. Uh, It's only for mid-level tennis matches and soccer games for now, Uh, and this comes after FanDuel ran some data on the Australian Open tennis tournament and found significant overlap between people watching a live stream of the tennis and betting on the tennis. So now this puts it all together in one place. Because of TV rights situations, FanDuel is saying it's unlikely this will extend to major American sports in the next five years. But still, this is a step in that direction. Uh, So, John, I'm I'm curious for your reaction to this. Uh, Is this the future? And can we expect to see live updated in-game odds on the screen when we're watching major U.S. sporting events in a few years? Like, can you see a scenario where going pretty far into the future here, but where the 2030 Super Bowl is on a major network and that network has contracted with a legal sports book to provide in-game odds graphics. Uh, you know, Eric, I'll re- reiterate what I said before. I think every sporting event eventually should have two offerings for consumers. There's the betting centric version and a traditional one. And, and I think that's what's going to happen. And I think on a traditional one, there'll be some teasers for, hey, by the way, you know, if you if you're betting on the game or you just started betting, you can go over to this this area. Um, but otherwise, you know, you can stick with us. Um, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I don't think it's going to even take till 2030. I mean, by 2020. Two, I suspect that's going to be the case. And I think that's going to be good for everybody. If, you, if you're not interested in, in gambling, which a lot of people aren't, they just like the sporting event and watching the game and rooting for a team, you stick with the traditional broadcast. But there are many people who obviously do want to bet and they want to see something more uh, geared to them. Uh, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, the consumer is used to getting what they want and I think they're going to get what they want. Yeah, and th- that certainly makes a lot of sense that there will be sort of the split broadcast approach to things um, so that people have the, the alternative option or, or, or the sort of standard option. Um, you know, I, I do think uh, that even if a FanDuel or a DraftKings or whoever will never obtain the broadcast rights to a major sporting event, um, that still whoever is broadcasting them, even if they don't go the split option like you suggested that that we'll start seeing more of these in-game odds incorporated into some of these broadcasts maybe not like a constant graphic like you'd get on an an all betting based broadcast but uh little mentions little notes little updates um you know i think of like espn which obviously televises a lot of live sports they have the daily wager every day an hour devoted to gambling and full of graphics is it really much of a leap for them to have a little graphic in the corner of the screen during an NBA game showing the live odds? Um, I guess I guess maybe it's kind of contingent. For it going quite that mainstream, it's kind of contingent on once more major states have legalized sports betting. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe we're talking about something that's two or three years away. But, you know, if and when New York goes mobile and ESPN's home state of Connecticut legalizes once, you know, around half of the 50 states have it, um, I kind of think at that point they don't really need to hold back, you know, uh, that, that 
we'll, we might start seeing the very most mainstream of broadcasts, including uh, the, this very specific betting data. Uh, I'll go a little further on that, Eric. Uh, I think California is a tipping point. Um, mm. Massive population, obviously, and and really a reluctant state in terms of uh, uh, innovation, shall we say. So if and when they go forward, uh, they won't be the next state, needless to say. And uh, I think when they do, though, other states will have already preceded them. And at that point, there's a population tipping point where the typical person watching a game now has sports betting available to them. Yeah, yeah. California is definitely a, a key state. Um, I'll just add that in the shorter term, uh, this is great promotion for FanDuel, which is already number one in New Jersey. But this will not only increase handle on the streamed events, but it'll surely lure in new signups, new accounts, you know, as a, a soccer or a tennis fan goes to FanDuel's website to watch a match live then gets inspired to open an account and deposit and start betting. Um, I, I was mildly surprised to see FanDuel saying that 15 to 20% of their action is on tennis and soccer already. Um, you know, only mildly surprised because those are year-round sports. Uh, there's always tennis or soccer going on somewhere. But still, that's a significant number. And uh, this is just one more development widening the revenue gap between FanDuel and the other operators. Yeah, uh, tennis uh, amazes me. Um, golf does pretty well, but mm -hmm. uh, better than people think. But tennis, there's something about uh, who's going to win the next game or who's going to win the next set. In-game betters, and I don't think they're experts by any means. I just right. think they, they like watching the rhythm of a match and they feel like, oh, that – you know, that player got lucky or that player's tiring or whatever, and they think they know who's going to win the next game, and they bet it. I, <laughs> I, I'm i sure FanDuel does rather well on the uh, margins on that. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect sport for action junkies. Uh, you want to always have a bet to, to put down. Tennis gives you that. Um, so we've reported a lot of good news on the legalization front the last few weeks, uh, but sometimes there's a step back to be taken with every two steps forward. And that might be the case in Rhode Island, where we're focusing on for our third story this week. On Wednesday, attorney Joe Larissa filed a suit to stop sports betting in the Ocean State until voters approve of it. The suit claims that unlike table games, sports betting was never approved by Rhode Island voters. And Larissa explained his position in a Providence Journal article saying the state constitution requires that voters approve a referendum for a new form of gambling, and they never did with sports betting. And noted legal expert Dan Wallach said he saw a possibility like this coming and uh, claims he even brought it up to one of his law school classes before this suit came out. Uh, this is all very new. We haven't had a lot of time to process it and survey legal experts, but John, what's your initial feeling on whether sports betting in Rhode Island might actually be frozen until the citizens can vote on it? Yeah, Eric, I think it's worth noting that uh, Wallach is adamant that New York does not need a referendum to allow sports betting based on their constitution. Uh, although all that matters there really is what Governor Cuomo thinks and and he doesn't uh, support online sports betting yet. Um, I think Wallach is right in, in New York and their constitution. Uh, so when he says that Rhode Island is different, um, I believe that too. You know, uh, I know from years of experience also with New Jersey referendums, uh, including on casinos and possibly in the Meadowlands, um, the referendum really needs to be finalized around say May or so, making the timing that's interesting being now. Um, mm -hmm. So supporters don't want to concede the point uh, and say, yeah, we're going to just have a referendum uh, in November, uh, which they would have to do like now. Uh, but if they lose in court, which they might, uh, or at least get delayed in court, uh, then it's too late for a 2019 referendum. So uh, 
I think the whole thing just seems a little sloppy by Rhode Island lawmakers. Um, uh, these constitutions are not that complicated in terms of gambling uh, restrictions. Um, and, and again, Governor Cuomo sort of can uh, gum up the works if he likes just because he's the governor and a powerful spot in a powerful state. But um, I think Rhode Island should have been uh, more diligent in, in looking into this issue instead of just rushing forward. Right. Yeah, it seems like that is what they did. And uh, like you, I'm inclined to defer to more educated legal minds than my own here. Uh, but looking at the response from those legal minds, you know, that this lawsuit was filed and most informed people on social media's response was kind of a, hmm, this is interesting and not the this is frivolous, this is going nowhere that you sometimes get uh, as soon as a, a suit like this comes out. So that that tells me that the Rhode Island GOP that's behind this suit is probably onto something. Um, I dug into the uh, Providence Journal uh, news story on this, and uh, that made clear that this is a very partisan situation. Republicans are trying to stop sports betting. Democrats support sports betting. And it's getting weirdly tied in with abortion rights because of the timing of this filing uh, coming just as there was about to be an abortion rights debate in the House and the House passed abortion rights and mobile sports betting bills on the same day. So uh, you talked about how it's a bit of a, a messy, mucked up situation uh, that just makes things even messier. Yeah, there's probably a podcast for that, but uh, it's not Gamble On. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, we don't need to uh, dig in any deeper on the political side of it. But I will just say that uh, as a supporter of legal sports betting and uh, a part of this industry, it's disappointing that this is happening just as Rhode Island is getting ready to fire up mobile betting, uh, which, of course, is what the state needs to start seeing real tax revenue out of this. You know, brick and mortar betting in the state has been a real dud so far. Yeah, and I think I think supporters in general need to realize, right, that just because, um, yeah, it's understandable uh, if people they want it to expand and expand and expand. You know, we we are a system of laws, and there are uh, right. state constitutions, and there are um, protocols that have to be followed, and different states have different rules. So, you know, if if the rules aren't being followed, then uh, yeah, anybody is is right to uh, call it out and perhaps prevail in court. That's a legitimate uh, point of view. Yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. As we noted on last week's podcast, it's suddenly a very busy time for Jill Dorson, Brian Pempis, and anyone else trying to keep up with reporting on breaking news in the sports betting legalization space. Sports betting is coming to Tennessee. It's looking positive for Indiana, Iowa, and Montana. And meanwhile, things are racing right along in Colorado. So it's a perfect week to welcome the aforementioned Jill Dorson of SportsHandle.com to the podcast to help us make sense of it all. Jill, welcome to Gamble On. Well, thanks. Good morning to both of you. Uh, it's it's morning for you. Uh, it's uh, technically uh, afternoon uh, where we are, but <laughs> good good morning to you. Good afternoon to us. Uh, so we we have to start with Tennessee, which shot to the front of the pack this week, and it seems it would take something extraordinary and completely unexpected to stop sports betting from getting legalized in the state. Uh, were you caught off guard, Jill, by how quickly this came together? And do you expect more states without brick and mortar casinos to legalize mobile sports betting? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that it came together fast. Um, the main bill sponsor filed this bill in November, but it did do a lot of sitting around. Um, from our perspective, that could mean that there were a lot of backdoor meetings or closed door meetings that none of us knew about right. while they were talking about it. But it did move through the House and the Senate pretty quickly. 
Um, and the governor in Tennessee has said that he's not going to sign it, um, but he's also not going to veto it. So it should become law, um, I would guess, by the end of the month. I don't know exactly the number of days that it has to sit on his desk, um, and it hasn't gotten there yet. Um, there are other states that have already um, considered standalone mobile, whether that means there's brick-and-mortar casinos or not. Um, Massachusetts is considering um, brick and mortar, but would allow standalone casinos. Washington DC, of course, um, passed a mobile sports betting bill and they will have some, um, brick and mortar sports books, but mobile is going to be the main piece of that. And Virginia lawmakers actually, um, in the fall proposed mobile only, but their session I think was only three weeks long and they just couldn't get it done. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, Jill, it, it seems like you've dipped a toe in the water of just about every state legislature there is. Um, I wonder if there's any one in particular where the, the lack of action on sports betting is most surprising. Um, obviously, your home state of California comes to mind, but is there one that even tops that? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are looking in from the outside and think that California is surprisingly not doing anything. But I would say that within the business, as it were, um, if you look at California, New York, Texas, Um, even Florida, um, the four biggest states by population, it's much more difficult to move any kind of legislation. Um, And I did read a story a few weeks ago in which the California governor actually said that the state was flush and didn't really need any more money, which as someone who lives here, I could say is untrue. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm not sure that it's surprising that any state in particular hasn't moved. I think what's interesting is is the speed um, or lack thereof with which some states are moving. So, for example, Missouri has had several sports betting bills sitting on their chamber floors for months at this point, and they haven't taken them up to discuss or to vote. Um, And then on the other hand, you have, you know, Indiana, Iowa, Tennessee. As soon as those got onto the floor, they whizzed right through. Colorado is trying to do the same thing. Um, they're in the middle uh, there. They have a sports betting bill that passed the House. Um, it's been on the Senate floor for two days and it keeps getting pushed back. So I don't know that they'll get to it. Um, but if they do, they will have passed sports betting within two weeks, I think. Hmm. Uh, we, we should all be so lucky to, to not need more money. What a, what a position from the California right. governor. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Illinois and Michigan are two big, populous, important states, uh, but the focus has shifted off of them a bit the last couple of weeks with all these other states uh, that, that you mentioned making moves. Uh, Michigan nearly legalized sports betting last December, but then the governor vetoed the bill. What do you think the chances are that one or both of those states passes legislation this year? You know, I actually feel like both of them are going to get something done this year, but probably late in the year. Um, Brant Iden is the main... Um, lawmaker in Michigan who's been working on sports betting. And, you know, they brought a bill to the governor last year that had all of the stakeholders, tribal casinos, uh, commercial operators, lawmakers, I mean, across the board, everybody was on board. And it was a surprise. The veto was an 11th hour. I can't remember if it was Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, but it was somewhere right in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Representative Iden was crushed. Um, But, you know, he's come back and he's he's putting together, you know, essentially the same package. Um, And sports betting in that state is going to be part of a bigger gaming package, which is part of the holdup, that it's difficult to pass multiple gaming laws at the same time. 
Um, in Illinois, I've been in touch um, consistently with Mike Zalewski, who is the main sponsor of the sports betting bill there. And I would say that they've been, you know, thoughtful and comprehensive in crafting their um, legislation. And they also are trying to work with every possible stakeholder. Um, and they're in a little bit of a different situation with regard to um, their professional leagues, because all of the families that own the pro teams in Illinois are based in Chicago. They have deep roots there. Um, and, you know, lawmakers have been, you know, really attentive, I guess, about making sure that they have a seat at the table, which in many states you don't really have to think about, you know, if you don't have a pro team or if they're not as big a part of the economy. But Illinois has had two really comprehensive sports betting hearings in the last few weeks. Um, I think the hope is to bring a bill that, that coalesces all of the amendments and all of the feedback that they've gotten um, onto the floor of the House, you know, sometime in May. Initially, they'd hope to have something on Governor Pritzker's desk by the end of this month, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's more likely in the fall. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and Jill, I, I got to say, no, I know the Chicago area very well, and if Indiana gets out ahead, they're going to absolutely eat Illinois' lunch. I mean, Gary, Indiana's going to have uh, traffic jams for uh, every football yeah. weekend, uh, for sure. Uh, and that, well, that's I assume gonna... it's sort of like that at the Meadowlands now. <laughs> uh, well, yeah I, I, yeah, I wrote that story a couple of months ago. I, I went to one of the March Madness days, and I was looking at the main uh, parking lot area, and one row, seven cars in a row, all had New York license plates on them. So, gee, that's a yeah. pretty good deal for New Jersey. And so that that's going to happen in every state, we know that, but... I want to ask you, Jill, uh, over the past year, you know, you've listened in on more sports betting hearings than probably <laughs> anyone should have to endure. Um, but at this point, I, I'm just curious, is it Groundhog Day or not? Meaning, are the slow-reacting legislatures still asking the same year-old questions, such as about underage gambling, geolocation, and so on? Or do they seem to be in any any way more informed than their predecessors? Are we making progress, at least in terms of the questions being asked? You know, I would say that that it's kind of a two-part answer in that, um, you know, some states like Illinois is a good example. Um, you know, the lawmakers have been really, really thoughtful. They've done their homework, so they don't have to ask the redundant questions or the questions that were asked last year. Um, that's not to say that they don't bring in experts on things like geolocation, um, you know, to educate their peers. Because what I'm finding is that in every state legislature, the bill sponsors are pretty well educated on what's going on. And then the other committee members or other lawmakers are not. Um, so the answer to your question is, yes, the questions actually have evolved. Um, they're different. They're more educated. Um, you know, we're not wasting time with arguing about, say, an integrity fee, which took up a lot of time in a lot of state legislatures last year. And we're not spending a ton of time on, say, geolocation, but, you know, they are bringing in, say, um, one company to just explain what that is. So it's definitely, I would say, an improvement for the most part. All right. Tremendous stuff. This has been uh, very informative, even for people like us who are covering the industry. I don't think we're quite as deep in the weeds as you, Jill. So I, I learned a lot <laughs> here. Uh, so thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, for all the excellent work you do on sportshandle.com. And, uh, and I know you were concerned uh, a little bit about your dogs barking during the podcast. Let them know they were very well behaved. We didn't hear a thing. We appreciate it. I will. And my parting shot would be that um, if the Montana governor does nothing um, in the next 
four days, Montana on Sunday will become the first state to legalize sports betting this year. Ah, great. Very nice little tidbit to end on. Thanks for that. All right. Thanks, Jill. No problem. Thanks, guys. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. No old futures bets wrapped up this week, uh, although our bet on the Rockets to win the NBA title at 15 to 1 looks worse than it did a week ago. Uh, but I'm not giving up. They could certainly bounce back and win the next two games at home. Uh, as for new bets we made last week, it's been a bit of a bloodbath. Uh, we had two losers and two TBDs that aren't looking great. I put $100 on the 76ers to win game one over Toronto, as it so happens in real life. I didn't bet game one because I wasn't in New Jersey to make the bet in time, but I did have a feeling that after losing, the Sixers would bounce back in game two, and I loved the plus 240 odds I saw on DraftKings, so I did make some personal money on that, but that doesn't help the podcast bankroll, which took a $100 hit, and we lost another $100 with your bet on the New York Giants drafting a defensive lineman first. I guess you learned a lesson, John, about trying to read the minds of this Giants organization. Uh, yeah, Eric, I'm just grateful that someone out there did something even dumber last week than my remote control fiasco that I referred to <laughs> earlier. So uh, I'm go. actually feeling good about losing this pick uh, based on that. Um, you know, if you decide to pay your over-the-hill quarterback another $20 million, then you're going for it in 2019, obviously. Um, and that means that the one thing you can't do is draft a quarterback at six uh, <laughs> slot because um, he may sit on the sidelines all year because your team already stinks in part because you sunk so much money into Eli Manning. And so you, you really desperately need to improve in the draft, but you didn't get any value for 2019, presumably, in the pick. So um, I, I got to give Giants fans credit here in North Jersey. You know, they're really evenly split on the pick. Uh, about half of them booed a selection. The other half hissed at it. So uh, they, they've <laughs> really uh, been thoughtful in, in, in determining which way to go. <laughs> Um, as for our other two bets, uh, I took the Bucks over the Celtics specifically in five games, and that one is just hanging by a thread after Boston won game one. Uh, Milwaukee won the second game, but I still need three more wins in a row from the Bucks now. Uh, and you took the Bruins over the Blue Jackets. Columbus currently leads that series two to one. So we keep creeping slowly toward being even overall right. after we had built up a nice cushion earlier uh, a few months ago. Uh, we are ahead by a mere $319 and we have $1,147 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $9,172 available for this week's bets. And you're up first, John. Yeah, Eric, I'm going back to my golf and the, okay. there's a Wells Fargo event, in North Carolina, Rory McIlroy absolutely dominates this course. Um, but I'm going to, Keep him on that bankroll. I'm going to play it safe and just go 121 to win 100 that Rory just finishes in the top 10 and then 20 more to win 110 that he wins the championship. OK, I like it. Um, I'm turning to basketball here and I found a player prop that I like for Saturday's big Warriors Rockets game three uh, on FanDuel. The line is 12.5 for James Harden free throw attempts. In the regular season, he averaged 11 free throws per game, but at home specifically, it was 12.3. In this series so far, he's gotten 14 and 9 in the two games, although he played about five fewer minutes than normal in that game two where he only had nine free throws because of the eye injury. Bottom line, 12.5 is a good line for a standard home game. It's about right. But this is not a standard home game. The Rockets are down 2 nothing. 
they need this. Harden knows he needs to step up. And I'm sure Adam Silver would deny this. But if you've watched basketball long enough, you know the refs often lean in the direction of extending a series or helping a more marketable team. If the NBA had its choice, it would want Houston to win this game. I think over 12.5 free throw attempts for Harden at home is a near lock. Uh, So uh, I'm risking... um, you know what? I was going to risk 110 to win 100, but let's step it up just a little. Let's risk 165 to win 150. Let's get crazy. Hmm. Uh, I can see that, Eric, uh, so to speak. But, um, you know, I was covering the Knicks 20 <laughs> years ago. Jeff Van Gundy used to say an NBA playoff series has not started until a home team loses a game. So uh, with both of your picks there, that hasn't started yet. So you've got uh, every chance. And uh, <laughs> for my actually my other bet, um, I'll sort of doubling down on your Bucks pick. Um, okay. I'm going to go 195 to win 100 that they win the series. Um, the Bucks needed that one smack in the face and they got it in game one. Uh, so from here on in, it, it's full speed ahead. It's a great team. And uh, I think it was great for them to uh, get their heads handed to them in game one. And uh, I think they're really going to be focused. And I think you've got a shot at your Bucks in five as well. All right. Well, that would be great if we get the Bucks in five. We both win. But uh, this way, at least uh, as long as the Bucks win the series uh, in any number of games, uh, we'll, we would more or less break even on those bets. So that's not too right. bad. Um, all right. For my last bet uh, in boxing, we have the biggest fight of the year on Saturday night in Las Vegas, the middleweight championship of the world. Superstar Canelo Alvarez defending against top contender Daniel Jacobs. Really good fight. Closer than the odds make it seem. Canelo is minus 650. Jacobs is plus. 340. Uh, But those odds are only that wide because the thought is that Canelo can't lose a close decision. And that has been the case throughout his career so far. So following on from that, my pick in this fight is Canelo by decision. And so instead of paying minus 650 to bet on him, we only have to lay minus 120 if we specifically predict it to go to a decision and Canelo wins. So that's what I'm doing, risking $120 to win 100 Canelo Alvarez on points. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Yeah, thanks, Eric. And I want to wish you a belated happy May Day. Um, you know, thousands of years ago, Perseus wrote that May Day crowds were pelted with vetches, beans, and lupins. Uh, these are legumes, basically. Um, I would rather be pelted with them than forced to eat them myself. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, eventually the holiday descended, or should I say ascended, into orgies that appeared to be similar to our modern Coachella or Burning Man festivals, um, but without the corporate sponsors. Um, in Bulgaria, the holiday is associated with snakes and lizards. No kidding. Um In Finland, alcohol appears to be involved. In Ireland, it's all about bonfires and possibly alcohol. Um, So with that bit of information, uh, until next time, everybody, gamble on. Gamble on.